Hello, welcome everybody to On the Safe Side, a brand new podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. We're excited to connect with you in this brand new format. We're going to discuss some serious topics and issues to get you thinking in what we call our deep dive segment, as well as talk to some prominent voices in safety and also have a little fun. My name is Barry Bettino, and I'm one of the three hosts for On the Safe Side, along with my fellow associate editors, Kevin Drewley and Alan Ferguson. A little bit about me, I'm a native of the Chicago area's south suburbs, go White Sox, and I spent two decades in the newspaper industry and I've also worked in healthcare journalism. I've been with the Safety and Health Magazine team for two years, and I really wish every Saturday could be a college football Saturday. So in addition to being the face of our OSHA Top 10 coverage, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for that. Um, my name, at risk of sounding like one of our webinars, is Kevin Drewley, and I'm an associate editor at Safety and Health Magazine. Um, St. Louis native, but I've been an honorary Illinoisan since graduating college. I spent about 10 years in Illinois newspapers and then came to NSC in July 2016. My previous gig involved working a lot of nights and weekends covering prep and minor league sports, so the novelty of following a network drama a blue buzz on Friday nights is nice, or, uh, or just accompanying my wife on a suburban festival on a Saturday still excites me more than it should. And we also have with us Alan. Alan, tell yes, the nice I'm people Alan about Alan Ferguson, also an associator here at Safety and Health Magazine. I, it's been about 20 years, as well as a, in the sports uh, writing industry. And my first job was at the ice cream shop at Graceland in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. And just so you know, I don't really know what happened to Elvis either. Um, what I do know is I'm really excited for this new podcast. About sums it up, Alan, because we're, we're excited to share this with the folks out there. And on this episode, we're going to touch on the impact virtual reality is having on safety training. And we'll speak with Richard Hawk, who is a guru of safety training. And for those of you who don't know Richard, his motivational speaking style is one part safety and one part fun. So let's go ahead and kick this episode off. If you're listening to this, we're pretty sure you like staying safe on the job and keeping others safe as well. We're also pretty sure that you want to stay safe and healthy when you're off the job, and we have a great way to help you out. It's Family Safety and Health Magazine from the makers of the award-winning Safety and Health Magazine. Family Safety and Health has tips and advice on topics ranging from the home to the roadway and from your free time to your medical needs. Visit nsc.org wellness or call 800-621-7619 to find out more and learn how you can get a subscription for yourself and five more for your coworkers, family, and friends. Remember, that's Family Safety and Health Magazine. Thank you, Barry Bettino, for that introduction to On the Safe Side. We welcome our listeners and do hope that you like what you hear. I can confidently speak for my co-hosts in saying we've enjoyed the planning phases of this project and are really eager to be bringing you bona fide episodes. We've got theme music and everything. It's really great. Uh, we're going to speak to one of those colleagues now. You just met him, Alan Ferguson, and this will be the first of our deep dive segments in which we explore a certain topic from the pages of safety and health. Um, Alan also is a fellow Missouri Tiger, and his recent work includes a story in the March issue covering virtual reality and safety training. Alan writes that virtual reality, or VR, is an emerging and unique safety training tool and not only offers the ability to simulate real-world situations, but it does so without exposing workers to dangers and exposures they face in the real world. Uh, VR also has proven to boost muscle memory and assist in retraining knowledge. Another benefit that you'll read about is its capacity for unlimited repetitions. Hurt was hearing Alan talk about this topic recently, and 
I understand that some of those reps can get pretty intense. So with that, Alan, what can you tell us about some of the bright spots and any concerns with this? Well, first, hello again. And uh, personally, the most exciting part to me is the all the potential applications for VR and safety training, whether it's fall protection, uh, welding, work zone and road zone safety, kind of heavy equipment, both the use of it. And if you're seeking to train someone how to repair or troubleshoot uh, that equipment, um, that's that can be a good tool. Uh, emergency situations and rescue scenarios, and, and the list kind of goes on. Uh, I guess going back to heavy equipment, if you if you have a little used piece of equipment or a fairly novice operator, they can practice over and over again. And like you said, the the, the unlimited repetitions kind of helps here, and they're kind of mistake-free reps. I mentioned that one great benefit is of is real-world experiences without the real-world dangers. And I'll, I'll get into the dangers a little bit in a second, because there are a couple of real-world hazards with VR, but they are relatively less significant than some of the hazards you might encounter on a work site. So in, in this case, it can help employers keep workers from being in harm's way a little less often, not to mention avoid potential damage to equipment or harm to other people with the novice operate around them. Uh, one source I talked to talked about more efficient training. For example, if you weren't quite skilled enough in the past to run, say, a crane, an employer might not know until you were on the job site. Then you've essentially wasted a day of work, you know, and possibly some wasted some transit to and from the work site, and you've got to do that over again. And with a VR simulator, you could perhaps know a little sooner, hey, someone's not quite ready for this next step. Again, while you avoid putting the equipment and the people potentially in harm's way. And one question, I'm sure people have out there is uh, kind of why why does this work as a training tool? Well, because it's so immersive. And there's a concept called presence or psychological presence where your mind and your senses actually believe that you're in the situation or the scenario that you're in. You know, I've heard of people yelling and sweating and throwing out their hands and crawling on the floor because they get so wrapped up in it. And it's pretty intense. Yeah, it is. I mean, it can be pretty intense. and. And I go into, there is a situation, uh, an anecdote in the story where, you know, somebody leaps out at a table because they're, they got so wow. wrapped up and, and, you know, they, they, they emerged unharmed, but still it's, you know, I mean, that was kind of scary in the moment. And it was an elder, elderly gentleman mm -hmm. from what I was told. So, I mean, that was, again, kind of scary, but glad that he's okay. So, like Kevin said, it kind of helps with muscle memory and that sort of thing, and, and, and the training kind of sticks with you. It, there's better retention there kind of with VR because of that immersive experience. And, and I did speak about the potential hazards, and some of them come from being wrapped up in the virtual world, as I said. You know, there's also some, uh, there's something called simulator sickness, and that's a lot like motion sickness, where there's a, a disconnect between the brain and the eyes that sense that you're in motion. Your body says, no, no, no wait a second, we're still standing still. So that, and that can cause nausea and fainting even, you know, hours afterwards in one particular case as I, I document in the story. And that's why a couple of sources advocate only using VR for like five to 10 minutes, 20 minute, the one source had, has a 20 minute maximum rule. And plus as, as one source put it, and I don't think this made it into the story, um, time in VR is spent, is time away from the real world. I think that's why most people for now are seeing this as a supplement to other kinds of training. When I mean time away from the real world, I mean, you can, again, you can get wrapped up and it, it, who knows what, you know, issues that can cause 
when you're spending so much time in a virtual world. Um, and again, that's why I think most people are seeing this as a supplement to other kinds of training. You know, I pop on my headset for a couple minutes or so and it reinforces what I've learned in the classroom or in a book or on paper. Yeah. I, I like the idea, Alan, of real world repetitions without real world dangers. That's yeah. really interesting. And I'm sure that's a huge benefit. It, um, yes. You spoke about some of the concerns. Are there other concerns when it comes to VR and safety training, something that the companies are, are, or organizations are, you know, have at top of mind when it comes to concerns? Well, I think as this gets kind of rolling, I think one source spoke to me. His concern was that they'll see this as like a, you know, a new toy, new idea. Like this is a new way to kind of replace all kinds of training. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't quite know where VR fits in the spectrum. And again, I'm talking about the recommended five to ten or twenty minute limit because the the physical, perhaps physical concerns of this. Um, one of my sources talked about his work as a director of training, uh, working with truck drivers, he said they would train off the manual and many times they'd get out in the field and there was inve inevitably something different with the truck that was different than the manual. And he worried kind of about the same thing with VR. You go through a training program with a headset and then you get out in the field and something's different, so now what? And he the, said- The real world is different. Than yeah, the real world is different than any kind of training. In, in, well, not any kind of training, but, but a lot of the kinds of training mm -hmm. You, you do it one way and then you get in the real world and there's little differences and that can perhaps throw you off. Sure. So this person said, so now that person who was training uh, on the truck would be left with the choice of using something they're not familiar with, figuring it out on their own, or just kind of hoping for the best. And that's probably, you know, something you don't necessarily want. Um, there's also some ergonomic concerns because VR headsets, you know, add that extra weight to your cervical part of your spine. Though if you, I played football, you know, I had a helmet, and inevitably, after that first practice or first couple practices, your neck would feel it. Sure. I mean, it doesn't feel like much, but it, you know, it is. It's a it's a weight on your on your head and neck. And th there was a study that said that you should also avoid asking people to reach up for objects or extend their arms straight out for two or three minutes because that can cause fatigue in the arms and the shoulders. There's also the cost of VR training, which, you know, like any other technology that emerges, kind of gets cheaper by the year, but, you know, can still get expensive depending on how high tech you want to get. Um, and there's making sure you're setting yourself up to implement VR in the right way. And one source talked about the use of a multidisciplinary team of kind of programmers, graphic designers, subject matter experts, and others. So you have to be willing to kind of make that investment. It dawns on me as we're sitting here in the studio and excited about this Maiden podcast that this is a multi-generational podcast when you, when you think about it. <laughs> it is. Well, uh, not that big of a gap. No, no, yeah. no, not at all. We're, we're at the outskirts of all of it. I, I didn't mean anything by that. Um, but just with... with no offense taken. No, no. But, but, but with that and just with some of the things you write about in other sectors with, with the generations, what, what did you observe there? Is there any generational concerns with this? I mean, that's a possible obstacle. And, and obviously everyone thinks about that. Well, you know, if you get an older worker in here, how are they going to adjust? But I had one source tell me they haven't seen it quite yet in, in a number of different trainings. And I had another source tell me that there was a grandfather in one training session who couldn't wait to brag to his grandson about using a VR headset, you know, for training. And I think we see it out there in the real world. You might, there's my dad who still uses a flip phone and has to hit the number three three times just to type the letter F, <laughs> you know, to send me a text. But then there's a whole lot of older people that have adapted, quickly adapted to smartphones, and they're, they're fine with them. And I, 
I think by the time this get, gets really going, I think there's going to be perhaps less and less of a concern. I could be wrong, but I, I think that could be the case. And yeah, I'm, I'm in my 40s, and I don't consider myself a spring chicken by any means. And I've used a computer since I was in first grade. And maybe I'm wrong, but I just I can't really imagine there are many people out there older than I am for whom technology is totally, totally foreign and they can't adapt. Yeah. It's a, really great that you're sharing this information with us, Alan, and, and it's also good to know that, that my father's not the only one still with a flip phone, so no, thanks for that. Literally, my dad and a, 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 one of my, uh, I guess, father-in-law, I don't know how you describe it, my brother's wife's father mm -hmm. and his family, they were, three of them were around and they all brought out their flip phones and <laughs> flipped them open. And everybody's just sitting there shaking their heads. <laughs> My dad seems to like to send messages with balloons, even if it's just a hello or something basic. He gets that effect. So I don't know if he is doing it consciously he's or. A big fan of the movie Up. That could be. You never know. Could be. Well, thanks again, Alan. We really appreciate you sharing your insights on this topic and, and the sources you spoke to. Um, folks, if you want to read more about this story, please check it out. It's in the pages of the March issue of Safety and Health magazine. You might know On the Safe Side's inaugural guest from the pages of Safety and Health magazine where his monthly column All About You is there to lift your spirits. Or you might know him from one of his many speaking engagements. Richard Hawk has been part of the safety field for more than three decades. He has worked for 15 years as a safety pro in the nuclear industry and as a safety advisor on construction projects. He's your friend, he's our friend, he's everyone's friend. Welcome Richard Hawk. Hey Richard, how you doing? Hey Richard. Hey guys, thanks for having me, especially this is your first one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're very honored. <laughs> so Richard, before we get into this, I want to explain that uh, he's joining us for our fledgling program for a segment we are calling Five Questions With. Our plan is to ask our guests safety and health related questions or questions related to their jobs, and then a bonus question that will give a little more insight into life off the job. Again, welcome Richard to our podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, what's your first question? So my first question, um, so as I mentioned, you were safety pro for many years. For those of us who don't know, how did you get from there to your current work motivating the motivators, as we like to say, a.k.a. motivating safety pros? That was because of a supervisor who could not give safety meetings. He was so afraid to do presentations. And uh, when I was at the power plant, each supervisor had to give a safety meeting to their department each month. And this guy couldn't do it because he was too afraid. So I helped him out by giving him a package and then his supervisor, we got together so he didn't have to actually stand in front of the group. And the package that I gave him so he could like give out stuff to people and they would do competitions and all, but he didn't have to give a presentation. I said, wow, this is a really good idea. And it was about confined space. And after that, I said, you know, I should start making packages like this and sell them. And then I decided to start my own company. And I did a newsletter, too, for six years after that called How to Educate and Influence for Safety Professionals. So it really was just accidental that this one supervisor who hated giving safety meetings couldn't get in front of an audience. And I helped him out. It's funny how it works out that way. Yeah, it is. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> You're speaking to some of that now, Richard, and apologies if this sounds like deja vu because I know we tackled a similar subject when we spoke for the, the storytelling and safety feature that will be along in the magazine soon. But 
as you hit on with with uh, instructor, this this really is a profession that involves public speaking, whether folks realize that when they get into it or not. With that, just what advice would you offer a safety professional to improve his or her public speaking skills? Three main things I would say are that, that has helped me. And if you're a safety professional, first off, your social skills and your interacting matters way more than your technical skills almost all the time unless you're in process safety or something which is just a very technical part of your job practice purposefully that's one of the things that that still helps me i'll either in my mind or purposely with my friends and with my wife and people practice different things you're going to do in when you do a safety meeting or in front of people and study the subject I find so many times when I'll have a group in a, a seminar or, you know, even a big talk, and I'll ask them, what are, what are you reading that has to help you be a better presenter, give better safety meetings? Most of the time, they're not reading anything. So at least read some. And I, I recommend the TED Talk stuff. There's talk like TED. There's storytelling secrets from TED speakers. So the practice you know, you can go by yourself and do it or do it with friends, study. And the last thing is watch. Go Now that we have the Internet and we have so much video, watch people that are giving successful talks. And, and TED is my favorite. Watch TED speakers regularly and see what they're doing that's working well and even stuff that doesn't. And you can also now, there's so many archives of great speeches of people. I remember when I was first starting out as a safety speaker, I listened to Winston Churchill's talk several times, and I learned so much from that that I use. For example, I just said these three things you should do, practice, read, and study, and watch. I learned the rule of three. So even at a safety meeting, say, here are the three things you should do that has to make sure with lockout, tag out, that you don't do something that will get you hurt or whatever. You know. And so study the subject practice, and then watch people doing it. That's what I would recommend for uh, safety professionals that have to give safety meetings and presentations. That's great advice, Richard. I, I really like the idea of, of listening to other speakers, too, you know, just to hone your own style. So I wanted to ask you, Richard, you, you've traveled around the globe as a speaker, and, and you've worked with so many safety professionals in a number of different industries. Do you, can you recall a couple of your most rewarding experiences? I would say... I went to India and spoke in Mumbai, Chennai, New Delhi. I gave two days say, uh, leadership, safety leadership training. And when I came back from that trip, I had changed in my understanding of culture and humanity and realizing that uh, I live in such a little box. I mean, all of us think our world is the world. Right. And I learned a lot from that. And, and I also found out that what we do here is pretty phenomenal compared to, I mean, it, not that India has, doesn't have good safety programs, but we have had some real advances here, and they were thrilled at the stuff I was telling them. They never even realized it. But vice versa, there were some cultural things there. I was like, wow, we should do it here. That was a great experience. Also, I spoke at NASA once. And the talk itself was like a real ego booster thing. I'm um, a keynote speaker at NASA. 
But I found out about NASA and their safety program and the stuff that they do, and that really did uh, inspire me to improve um, and help other companies improve their safety program. Plus, it's amazing what NASA does. Sure. And, but I would say, and now that I, I just think about it, this the main thing of my speaking that has made me feel the best has been when people come up and tell me they've changed their lives because of my talk, not because I was so great, but something that I said for some reason. And like this one guy, Ron, told me that he was having serious medical problems. And I, one of my talks, I had to speak extensively about hydration. He didn't drink any water uh, and he was having serious medical problems. And because of my talk, he started drinking water and it fixed his medical problems. And I remember I was in tears that day when he came and gave me a hug after ASSE uh, con- conference uh, about how my telling him, you know, or, or, or talking about hydration changed his life. So even though some of the stuff is fun and exciting, different places in the world, knowing that what I do and all safety professionals, really, this is the same thing, change people's lives. you whether it be you help them not get hurt or because we use health as part of what we do, you help them improve their health. That is really the key to enjoying. And for me, too, that's the best part of my job. Yeah, that's what this is all about. And that's, that's really touching. Um, so your website is makesafetyfun.com. That's makesafetyfun.com, all one word. Safety is obviously a very serious topic, so how can safety pros make safety fun while still making sure that the need information is absorbed by the audience and not lost in all that fun? This is like my angst. Fun is not play. Okay. I wish there was a better word than fun, but fun, in the context I use, it means energetic enjoyment, which is one definition for fun. You don't have to play games, but you can. You don't have to, it just means you're enjoying what's going on. You're having fun, what you're doing. So I don't recommend that the game or the funness be the main thing. I recommend that the, let's say you're trying to teach somebody how to, you know, use fall protection. Just make it so that they enjoy learning how to use fall protection. That's what fun means in my context, anyway, what I'm trying to say. I wish there was a better word, but I can't say make safety exciting because that's not all of it. You know, I've been in you know, serious uh, – you know, I used to work for IMPO and uh, evaluating accidents, and there has been fatalities. And I enjoyed – so I could say I had fun, but not in a like, oh, it's no cool, no big deal, playful way. But I enjoyed what I was doing, and that's what I mean by fun. So – you can definitely be playful, you know. I've seen people have play all kinds of games, you know, Jeopardy and stuff that's related to safety. That's cool. That 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 can work. But in general, it means you want to make this topic not a boring do this, don't this, you know, just blah 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 type of topic. Make it something that people get involved with because it's so important. I mean, there's there is no more important topic than our safety and health. Staying on that fun side and on the safe side, what are some ways to spice up a safety training that might feel mundane or like a box that's being checked off? It's not that difficult to make it so it's not just check off the box. All you got to do is there's three things. Use stories instead of just listing stuff. For example, if I was doing a lockout tagout session, rather than say, all right, you got to go get a permit first, you got to go check this first, I would say, let's pretend Tom and Mary 
Tom's had a bad day, you know, he, he got up late, he had to hurry up to work. I made a story out of it, but I'll say Tom and Mary have to go work on this piece of equipment. So Tom goes to the operations department. You know, I make it a story. I still tell all the elements that they need to know, but I make it a story. Another thing is competition. You have two groups. You have, you know, 15 people. You have seven and seven, eight and nine. You say, look, you put together a test for the group B and B group B puts a test for you. Let's do some kind of competition. See who knows the most about lockout, tagout in some way. And the other thing is just to have people do stuff rather than you just talking. One of the classes that I give that, that has to do with presentations, for example, safety meetings, have people make up some jokes about safety meetings that they could use tie into the topic. So they're doing stuff rather than me just saying it, or I'll have them do poems related to it. And then we see, we vote together who did the best. So it's not just me throwing out stuff, it's us working together. And a little plug, but it's free. Uh, if anybody that's listening to this podcast sends me an email, richard at makesafetyfun.com, richard at makesafetyfun.com, I'll send you an ebook free of uh, Spice It Up, 52 Easy Ways to Turn Your Safety Meetings from Bland to Grand, which has all kinds of tips based on this subject, Kevin, that you just asked. So Richard at MakeSafetyFun.com, I'll send you a free ebook uh, with 52 different ideas on how to make your safety meetings more fun and interesting. That's great. Well, thanks, Richard, for that. Thanks for sharing that with our audience. Well, Richard, as, as Alan mentioned, this segment is called Five Questions With, but we're going to ask all our podcast guests one more question, and we're calling that question our pop quiz. So this is going to focus on your life away from work. Um, and Richard, I know that you have a passion for playing guitar and writing songs. And what we want to know from you today is who is your favorite guitar player of all time? Uh, of all time, that's that. It's like saying, you know, you go on a deserted island, what, what book would be the only book you'd bring or a movie? <laughs> Well, I would say of all time, I learned the guitar when I was in 14, 15, or around that age. I mean, when, once I learned the guitar, I learned all Zeppelin stuff. And uh, Jimmy Page was my idol, but uh, the whole Led Zeppelin group was. Okay. And so if I was to pick one overall, though I, you know, Eric Clapton I love and Hendrix and all those folks too were, you know, good, great guitarists actually. But I would say Jimmy Page, he would be my favorite. Yeah. Was there a song you learned on early that you remember? Well, Stairway to Heaven, the very beginning part, and I still use that with my audiences when because I use the guitar to show about uh, practicing and learning stuff. And that first beginning A minor, do, 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 right. do, that first part, when I learned that, I would, you know, I know how to play the guitar now. So that <laughs> was like... <laughs> But I even had two. I when I got two guitars, I had an Ovation and a Fender. Uh, I keep one because uh, Jimmy Page tuned his guitar differently for different songs. And uh, I remember the, uh, one down by the Seaside song. I would have one guitar tuned a little bit differently. So I did it. at one time I probably knew just about every Led Zeppelin song played. In fact. I don't listen to them as much as I used to because I've heard it so much. I mean, how often do you need to hear Stairway to Heaven? Uh, <laughs> it's a well, wonderful 14, song. But a lot. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks. That's a good question. Yeah, I would say, uh, for sure, Jimmy, Jimmy 
page would be my right. favorite. Well, we appreciate you being here, Richard. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me. This was um, it's a it's a great privilege. The National Safety Council has been a, a wonderful client in different ways to work with, both the magazine and I've been to dozens of the I don't know how many conventions I've been to. I'm looking for the one uh, this year coming up. Maybe I'll see you guys there. You will. You'll see us all in Indianapolis. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh... Thank you, thank you again, Richard, for your time and for uh, sharing your stories with us here on The Safe Side. Now that we've heard Richard's answer to the pop quiz, that begs the question, who who are our favorite guitarists? I guess I'll go first. I mean, I'd have to say Jimi Hendrix. I think the guy was pretty revolutionary in terms of playing the guitar. Absolutely. What about you, Barry? Well, for me, it's uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, I had an interesting story. When I was in college, I worked on a vegetable farm south of Chicago. The, the sweet corn didn't come in until June. So after I got out of college, I would go to uh, stay with family in Denver. And I was staying one summer with my brother and my cousin. And Stevie Ray Vaughan was playing at Red Rocks that wow. evening. And my brother came home from work and said, I can't go, I've got a date tonight. And I thought, oh, this is chance lost, you know. So didn't go. Long story short, came home from the date. I said, how was your date? He said, it was the worst date I've ever had. <laughs> how about you? Well, I will say before giving my answer, I've encountered more guitarists in this line of work than you would have thought. In addition to Richard Hawk, mm -hmm. I spoke recently with a Matt Hawk. No relation. Um, <laughs> but Matt Hawk is a country musician in Texas, and it's a family safety and health story to plug that magazine once more. But it concerns... Um, flooded roadway safety and National Weather Service has a turnaround sure. don't drown campaign so Matt wrote a little ditty and uh, it's the pic there's a picture of him in the magazine but he, he too is a, a singer-songwriter um, as for my answer though and I know many people think of him also as a vocalist but he, he plays guitar and for two bands that I always enjoyed but that's uh, Randy Bachman with okay. BTO and, and the Guess Who mm -hmm. and there's several songs you could rattle off but I actually learned just in doing a little um, research for, for this answer. He was not in on one of my favorite Guess Who songs, which is a Bus Rider. I guess he had left. That's when he was transitioning between uh, the Guess Who okay. and, and Bach gotcha. and Turner Overdrive. Gotcha. But he's still, he's my answer just the same. Good answer. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, with that, we want to thank everyone for joining us today. Thanks for spending some time with us here on our brand new podcast, On the Safe Side. And remember, if you want to keep your employees and your colleagues and their family members safe, we have just the publication for you, Family Safety and Health. Each issue is packed with helpful tips to keep families safe at home and in the community, along with information, art, informational articles about your health. To get a free copy or to learn more, just visit nsc.org wellness, or you can subscribe by calling 800-621-7619. And one favor we'd ask of you all is tell a friend about this podcast. And if you want to share some feedback with us, you can email us. We are at safehealth at nsc.org. And to find stories like Alan's story about VR and safety and all the latest news about safety and health, check us out online. We're at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. And you can make sure to follow us on various social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even LinkedIn. We'd like to thank our NSC colleague and our sound guru, Rob Neustadt, for working with us here in the studio. And our guest, the highly entertaining Richard Hawk, Original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. Thank you, Steve. And we'll be back next month to share more safety news, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and even have a laugh or two. 
Until then, everyone, stay on the safe side. <laughs>